the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided our world has become? We desperately need stories of peace and healing. We find the bridge builders across the globe who are stepping into the divides of culture and bringing understanding, compassion, and reconciliation. And now, here's your hosts, Jonathan Sanborn and Lisa Jernigan. And hello again. Thank you so much for tuning in to Counterculture. I'm your host, Jonathan Sanborn. And once again, I am traveling solo. Don't have my sidekick here. Actually, I think I'm her sidekick. I make sure she, you know, she gets fresh lattes and, you know, she's, she's protected from snipers, whatever it is. I'm there to protect Lisa. But today I'm solo, going back to my roots, going, having, having this solo show solo, but really, we do miss her. But thank you again for tuning in. We love highlighting local leaders and even global leaders who are making this world a more peaceful and compassionate place. And I love what I get to do because I get to find, you know, reach out to my friends and people I know and even people I don't know and say, can we highlight and hear about what God is doing in you and what you are doing in the world that's that's really counterculture. In a divided world, we need more ever people who are bringing us together and unifying us. So today we have in studio Nicole Nicole Seleski. Thank you, Nicole. Hi. Thanks. <laughs> so I think I startled her. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I know. She, I think she's. This is her first time on radio. It is. It is. Okay. You're okay. No pressure. Yeah. No pressure. I'm really glad people can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> she she's sweating bullets. No, quite the contrary. She's got this chill persona. She's not. No, I think we're going to be just fine. So Nicole, thank you so much. I know you got a lot going on, and it was kind of short notice, but making this happen. We've we've gotten to know each other this last year, and I've known the uh, you know about Christian Family Care, and so you are the. What's your role at Christian Family Care? Yeah, so I'm the vice president of social services. Okay. So that includes a couple of different programs. We've got infant um, adoption, DCS adoption, foster care, specialized youth programming, therapeutic foster care. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I cover all of those programs. And Christian Family Care has been in Arizona for a long time. We just celebrated 40 years this 40 year. 40 years, we were okay. founded in 1981. Yeah. Wow. Why, why, why does Christian Family Care exist? Yeah, so Christian Family Care's uh, mission is to strengthen families and serve at-risk children mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus Christ. So Kay Ekstrom, our our founding mother, if you will, <laughs> of Christian Family Care, mm-hmm. she started the organization to serve foster children and find foster and adoptive homes okay. for the children. And then services expanded from there. Um, our now CEO, Mark Upton, came to us. He just celebrated 10 years okay. with us. So our services have changed over the years. We are not just a foster care and adoption agency. Mm-hmm. Um, we really focus on the holistic family. And we'd like to see a future where every child is loved and nurtured in sure. a Christ-centered home. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's a great goal. Mm-hmm. It's a worthy goal. And so we're going to spend some time with mm-hmm. Christian family care and, and what's what's happening, sure. and even the current state of need of the need for families and adoptive uh, for foster and adoption. But I just want to hear more about you. So let's just go back. Where you know, you, are you from Arizona? Just a little bit about your story. Sure. Yep. So I'm a native to Arizona. Okay. I was born in Phoenix, raised in Chandler, Arizona. My husband and I got married in 2002. Okay. We've been married now for 20 years. Nice. We lived, we did a stint, I like to call it, but for about nine years in Queen Creek, and then we came back to Chandler. Was that a mission field? Uh, <laughs> no. It, it felt like it a little <laughs> <That's> bit. <about. laughs> we moved out there when there were no houses out there, no grocery stores, no gas wow. stations. So uh, we started having kids and had to come back into into town, so mm-hmm. to speak. You had running water, though, right? We did have running water. We okay. didn't have well water. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I've grown up and lived kind of in the same neighborhood, so mm-hmm. to speak, almost all my life. And yeah. now our kids go to school. They're in Chandler. And, yeah, been in social work since 1999. What made you – why did you get involved in social work in 99? So – I'm an only child, and my dad was a Mesa police officer. Okay. So lots of roots all over different cities within Arizona. And I think I probably knew Hmm. probably about my sophomore year of high school, I took a sociology class. Okay. I loved it. It was my favorite class. Um, We got to talk about everything human dynamic related and social justice related Mm -hmm. before social justice was a thing. Right. And I just loved it. And I think I knew at that point that I had to work with people in some capacity. I actually told myself I would never work with kids. Really? Yeah. It was the one space that I thought I will never work with kids. I'll work with families, with adults, with women. And that's how I started my career. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, through lots of different circumstances, the Lord brought me into working with youth in the nonprofit sector and – yeah, he definitely had a plan that I did not have. So th- let's get into that. I want to find out what did God do in your life to make children and the cause, the needs of children so important, considering you've had this experience in other areas. Yeah, so I didn't have a, a really great and comfortable experience in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, there, uh, there's a lot of different types of kids that you right. get kind of crammed into school with. <laughs> and I I wouldn't go as far as saying I was I was bullied in the traditional sense that mm-hmm. people think of bullying. You weren't shoved in the locker. No. Oh, wait. I oh, wasn't. wait. That's me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so. I wasn't shoved in the locker. Maybe I was against shoved the against the locker <laughs> okay. a few times. That's right. Uh, but I was a sports kid. Like okay. I liked I liked everybody. I was friends with everybody. Mm-hmm. I I liked a lot of different things, had a lot of different friends, and that was not the scene in middle school. And so I think that really shaped how I went into adulthood and thought, well, I'm never going to work with kids. Yeah. I didn't like them when I was a kid. Right. And so I certainly don't want to work with them as Mm -hmm. an adult. I didn't have the traditional college experience. I didn't want it. I didn't live in a dorm. I didn't join a fraternity. I wanted sorority education. Oh, sorry, sorority. Well, <laughs> well you never I, know. I don't even know what the scene is now. I just, well, you know, but you are. I probably could. Yeah, right? That's probably right. Sorry. Um, yeah, I didn't do any of that. I didn't like party through college. Yeah. I, I was ready to launch into adulthood. And so I chose a very different path and did more adult education track okay. for my undergrad. 
um, which didn't even take me four years. I expedited that and just wanted to really get on with life. So I come into my career somewhere along the lines when I'm in my bachelor's degree. My my um, my dad ended up being diagnosed with leukemia mm. and uh, actually passed away in 2003. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So an only child, you know, losing Care- my dad. Are you caring, doing caregiving? Um, no. It was just so quick. Mm-hmm. You know, from mm-hmm. the time we found out about the leukemia to the time he passed was about – Four to five months. Okay. So it was very quick. Yeah. 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 So, you know, being the daughter of a police officer, he said goodbye every morning and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, like just always praying over him. Right. Don't let anything happen. And then to lose him to something like leukemia was Mm. definitely not expected. Right. So it just kept being reinforced for me this, I don't want to step into the pain with children. And so then I came into my career. Mm-hmm. I first worked with um, male residential clients who suffered from schizophrenia. Oh, that's and, a yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a light gig. Yeah. Well, my <laughs> undergrad was in psychology and human services. Okay. So I love the puzzle of the mind and the behavior that our mind creates. Mm-hmm. So I stepped into that and. Um, and then I found myself at a great organization here locally. It's called A New Leaf. Yeah. Loved working there. Uh, out of Mesa, right? It is out of yeah. Mesa. Michael Hughes is still the CEO. Kind man of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so loved working there. I worked there for 13 years and worked with domestic violence victims, homeless families, thought, okay, this is my gig. This is what I'll do. And then I was asked to be the program manager for a residential treatment center for a new leaf that mm-hmm. served adolescent males um, who had like conduct disorder type challenges coming out of detention. And I thought, well, Ooh. I love I love that population. I do mm-hmm. really still love the court ordered population. You mm. kind of have a captive audience. And I just, I love the puzzle of it. Um, So I loved working with kids. I expanded that and ended up working with adolescent male sex offenders in residential treatment during my time at A New Leaf. And that's what I was doing when I left. And I did what no believer should ever do. I started praying and made a deal with God. Okay. Uh Uh-oh. Brace yourself. Yeah. I started praying and said, all right, Lord, if you want me to move away from this work, you have to change funding of all six of my programs. Okay. Yeah. So one by one, he did that <laughs> over the course of three years. And um, so I was in the process of packing up the last residential house and feeling very at peace with that. Mm. And I had a great coworker who her and I have been in each other's lives now for about 17 years. She moved to Christian Family Care um, probably about – six or seven months before I did. And she really just pulled me along and said, you're going down with the ship. Like they're going to take care of you and give right. you another position, but, but do something that you want, yeah. something that God's calling you to. Right. And so I had been working with kids for so long at that point. I had just had to keep going. Yeah. Um, so foster care felt like a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. Like that population of kids still felt, um, like a worthy 
cause. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So it was really easy to step into CFC mm. and I had never worked for a Christian organization, but I've been a believer since I was 13. So that was a new experience, mm. um, but a great one. I get to pray several times a day before meetings and I get to pray mm-hmm. with staff and mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine doing the work any other way. Yeah. Yeah. It's such heavy work. Yeah. But uh, I find it also interesting that in part of your story, there's this. It's this weird. Like you're interested in the, the puzzle. You call it the puzzle of the mind. That's not normal. I mean, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> it's normal. It is normal. There's nothing. It's not, but it is. It's un. It's uncommon. Yeah. And that you're drawn to adolescent youth coming out of <laughs> very challenging people. Yeah. That to me is a great God. That tells me God's in this because it's mm-hmm. it's it's something like it's kind of unique and uh, and beautiful about you mm-hmm. that's useful to the kingdom. But if you're willing to say, Lord, use this desire yeah. or interest, it's not wasted. Yeah, I really feel I felt strongly when I worked in the residential programs. I would not read the kids' files. One, that wasn't the function of my job, really. Um, but I would spend time with the kids one-on-one. I would mm-hmm. spend time in their therapeutic groups. I had a rule my staff knew. I don't put a file in front of me. Right. I don't read who a child is through a file. Mm-hmm. And so I really took time to listen to their story mm-hmm. from them. From them. And it was ugly and painful and, um, you know, sometimes hard to listen to. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that through God's redemption, people can be healed, Yeah, especially kids. You know, you catch these situations and these circumstances so early on. This – what we talk about now is the trauma that's been built in kids' lives that take them into adulthood. Yeah, You can single-handedly change the trajectory of that child's right. life if you just move away from – reading the piece of paper that someone else defined them by and just having a face-to-face experience, which is what I love about working with foster kids. Mm -hmm. I I want to see more older foster children come into foster homes, especially Mm -hmm. foster families think caring for older kids is really scary and they're not wrong, but it's so worth it. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Like right now in Arizona, what's the situation? Yeah, not great. 13, 14,000 children in out-of-home care. So that's kids in foster care, kids in group homes, uh, kids in kinship care. It looks like a lot of different things. But essentially what it means is that we have thirteen to 14,000 children who are not with their birth parents. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, Arizona has a lot of work to do in yeah. this area. And that's one of the things that Jonathan, you and I are working on right. uh, together and Figuring out how do we increase the number of foster families who are willing to say yes to children, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even when it's messy. Yeah. And so this is something that's deep within the mission of Christian Family Care. Yeah. And so what's what what's the key message? Why is that so critical right now? Yeah, I believe that it's our responsibility as believers mm-hmm. to step into foster care and say yes uh, to what God calls us to say yes to and taking care of the widows and the orphans. And I know some people have interesting views on that verse and that topic in general. Mm -hmm. Um, But adoption, if you think about it, or foster care has been around since the beginning of time. 
there's countless Bible stories and countless individuals that you read about in the Bible who are not with their birth parents, Mm -hmm. and they go on to do amazing things. But it first starts with someone taking Mm -hmm. the risk. Taking the risk. And so what – so what is the most common roadblock that would prevent someone from saying okay we can say we can quote James 127 yeah. and the verses and we can say God wants us to do get involved in some capacity yeah. but then we we face we look at ourselves or some we look at our situation and mm-hmm. so what what do you see like are some of the, the, the most common roadblocks some are good and yeah. but maybe some aren't well, what we commonly hear from families, I don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. I don't have enough resources, which the state provides some resources for right. families. Um, I don't know what my kids will think. Mm. I don't know what people will think. You know, kids come in all sizes, shapes, and ethnicities. Yeah. So it's it's hard sometimes for families to conceptualize what what questions might come my way or how would I answer those questions or – what if it doesn't go well? Mm-hmm. I think it, it at the heart of everything, every answer that we might give on why we say no to foster care, really the heart of it is fear, mm-hmm. um, the unknown, you know, and not wanting to fail. Right. Yeah. And so you, I'm sure if someone says I'm at least willing to explore this, mm-hmm. there, it's not like they're going to be on their own. It's like – the next day they say yes, they're going to be here. Oh, here, here, here's a troubled 15-year-old boy who's no. knocking on your door the next day. No, no, not at all. So there's there's 26 foster care and adoption agencies here in Arizona. And we all have pretty much the same process. Mm-hmm. We do a home study process and uh, we kind of tease a little bit that you know, we ask you so many questions and then we ask you for your firstborn. It's it's a it's, lot of information. Right, right. And that's intentional. We want to know everything we possibly can about this family who's going to care for kids. And so it is a process. Mm-hmm. And so we do that mutually together with a family and the agency that they choose. Mm-hmm. So it could take anywhere from four to five months to become licensed. Yeah. And then once you're licensed, you tell us. What age range, what gender, what ethnicity right. of children you feel called to. Right. We want to help match children and families in ways that create sustainable relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you want this to work. Mm-hmm. We do. You, it's not like you're just desperate and we'll take whoever – it's, it's, it works both ways. Like, right. Yeah, we, it's not just let's get every family possible, but it's also no, you know that mm-hmm. – you want the you, you want the kid to be in a successful placement. That's right. Yeah, we want to prevent disruptions. We want to prevent more trauma from happening every time a child is moved. That's a new trauma. Mm. So we want to try to prevent that. All the agencies are really great at focusing on that. Right. And we're all kind of linked at the arms together to try right. to prevent disruptions. But we understand they happen. Right. Um, so it's about helping families have the resources they need and the support that they need, which mm-hmm. Christian Family Care does a great job. Of course, I'm biased. Sure. Um, but we have a lot of supports in place for families that help them sustain that placement, that help them, um, you know, in those two, three o'clock hours when they're going, I can't take any more tantrums or I don't know what to do or 
um, I'm at a loss. I've, right. I've reached my end. What do I do? Mm-hmm. We provide resources for them that help them build that. Give me an care. example of resources. Yeah. So one of the services that Christian Family Care provides is family coaching. Mm-hmm. Family coaching is an internal in-house service that is about to be uh, launched to the public at large. Okay. But right now it is um, some of our current counselors who step in to families' homes and will resource with the parents. They don't step in and spend time with the child to mitigate the behavior. They spend time with the parents and say, let me focus on equipping you to care for this child. It's a free service to all of our families. Um, We offer them anywhere from three to six sessions. We'll take it longer if we Mm -hmm. need to. We'll transition them into our counseling services if they'd like to do that long term. We offer support groups for foster and adoptive families. Uh, We have what we call partner programs. So we partner up an experienced foster family with a newly licensed foster Mm -hmm. family. Because if our our goal is if we can sustain and support the family, then they're going to keep caring for kids. Mm. Yeah. So it sounds. I mean, we all, we all know even caring for our own children can be complicated. There's a lot of things involved. How do you make it like, you know, here's here's 20 resources, and that sounds that even sounds overwhelming, overwhelming like yeah. in an almost like in a negative way. Even though that's a, that's a lot of help, is there like one person that can kind of I will be walking through mm-hmm. if we bring a kid? And there's someone who I can always count on to call and or yeah. back me up, like a caseworker. Yeah. So we have foster family specialists. So a lot of times that specialist is the same person who goes through the licensing process with Mm -hmm. you and then is with you on the other side as you're caring for children ongoing. So we try to create consistency there so Mm -hmm. that our families are not telling their life story to a thousand different people. Right. Um, So we try to be the consistent who may not be the consistent is like the DCS worker or the therapist involved or right. the other external parties. But if we can keep our staff consistent with that family, then we can be that first point of contact. Huge, which is yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah. So to, again, we've lo- during the pandemic, a lot of families dropped off. Yeah. Like it's just hard. there are less families available to foster and adopt. Mm-hmm. What would you tell someone listening to consider if they were just maybe thinking, oh, maybe that's, that's something I could do? What would you say? Just take the first step. Yeah. Just pick up the phone and call or visit the DCS website. They have a really nicely revamped website that families yeah. can go to. And you can play around with the features on that website and tell DCS do you want to be licensed by a faith-based agency? Mm-hmm. Do you desire not to be? Do you want an agency who's close to your home or it doesn't matter to right. you? You can kind of choose a menu of options. And then people from those agencies start reaching out to you. So really, the first step is just come forward and right. tell us that you're even interested in having the conversation. Foster families look like all different kinds of families. They do respite care. They... Um, maybe only want to serve younger children or yeah. older children or school age children. It it really is um, a, a mission field that you have some options in. Mm-hmm. Just coming forward is the first step. 
coming forward, just yeah. be saying. And I think, too, from a, from a Christian perspective, uh, what we should also say, pray, like, Lord, wh- where's my heart in this? Mm-hmm. And what do you find, like, from a like, what's the you like the great precursor to this being a successful for you spiritually? Mm-hmm. What uh, maybe that's a, que- a question for you? Yeah, I definitely think that it is a heart calling. Mm-hmm. You know, when we hear our pastors in in our churches talk about foster care and talk about caring for the widows and orphans, if that resonates with you, or God starts thumping your heart mm-hmm. in that moment. That's definitely something you yeah. should pray over. Yeah. Yeah. I think it first happens um, from a heart yeah. perspective. And then it has to move to the head, right? Yeah. You've got to start to have those logical conversations either with yourself or with your spouse, your family members, your church home, and ask, will, will you support us in this? Mm-hmm. Because it it does take support. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I, I'd like to make the distinction between what is a good idea and what is a God idea. Yeah. And so a good we all would agree that it's good for families to open up their homes. But a God idea is saying God has given me a heart and, and even praying for that. Lord, if this is something of you, give where, show the heart, the right heart for this. Absolutely. If you feel his blessing and his anointing to move forward into a ministry like foster care – you will only be able to ignore that for so long. Awesome. And to find out more, christianfamilycare.org? Yep, that's right. Fantastic. cfcare.org. cfcare.org. Fantastic. Nicole, this has been a great conversation. Great to have this time to talk through such an important topic and highlight the great work Christian Family Care is doing in, in our state. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Amplify Peace, educating, immersing, training, and launching peacemakers to build united communities. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.